this year and, and for the next five months or so, we are going to be journeying through the Christian calendar, uh, the seasons of Epiphany, which we're in right now, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and we're going to use what's called the uh, Revised Common Lectionary to do that, which is a, uh, a set of scripture texts that were put together from uh, denominational leaders of all different kinds all over the world. And every weekend, in any given church, there are millions of churches that use this lectionary, this set of scriptures to kind of guide them through worship and through the Christian calendar. Um, and there, there's one particular resource that I want to let you guys know about that's called uh, the Moravian Daily Text. Some of you know what these are. Um, but uh, it's basically a daily email that you can subscribe to that will sync you um, up with this, the Revised Common Lectionary. and kind of helps you to walk in step with the Christian calendar and your personal devotion. So we'll put it in the news, but um, it's moravian.org if you're interested to subscribe and receive that daily email. It's one of my favorite things every day to get. Um, always has great scripture and prayer snippets, so feel free to do that. Um, so that said, the text for today is in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 and 21 through 22. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. A, a health officer named, uh, let me make sure I get this right. I think his name is Bhagwan Pawar, Dr. Bhagwan Pawar. Um, in India, western state called Maharashtra, so western part of India, in this state he discovered that there were 222 girls who had been named unwanted. Um, the, the Indian word is Nakusa. Their names were Nakusa or unwanted. And you immediately wonder why in the world would anybody name someone unwanted? Well, in, in Indian culture... Um, uh, a male uh, sibling or child or heir is very valuable, um, namely for income. You know, this is someone that's going to carry on your family line and who will take care of you eventually. And it's also for for little girls who grow up to get married. It's very expensive to get a dowry together. You have to get a lot of money together to marry them off to another family. And so families um, who have two or three girls... And no boys will start to name that second or third child Nakusa or unwanted as a way of saying we we don't want any more more girls. We don't want you. In fact, it's become illegal in hospitals in India to disclose the gender of the child before it's born because uh, gender selective abortion has become so pervasive. Can you imagine 
Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up in a family and, and have your name be unwanted? Uh, it's time to wake up and go to school unwanted. It's time to come to breakfast unwanted. This constant reminder that you're not welcome, that, that you weren't planned for and that they don't want you around. Um, this uh, and it's a it's a it can't not have some sort of effect on those girls and on the way that they view themselves. And really, it's a way that I'm sure it's shaping their identity. They're hearing um, this name and it is it is shaping the way they feel about themselves. It's shaping the way that they feel about the world just by virtue of this name. Nakusa. Many of us, I think, um, maybe not as drastically, but I think many of us find our identity in the wrong place as well. For these girls, it was in this name that is a, a misnomer. Uh, but but for us, I think um, lots of us can grow up finding our identity in uh, in how we perform or in how we look or in other people's opinions about about us. You know, I, I uh, didn't realize this until recently, how really until I got out of school and saw kind of the hole in my life, how much of my identity I found in how I performed in school. You know, the grades that I got, the uh, the comments that my teachers would make. And it was revealed to me especially because, uh, I hope that's not mine. sorry for this. No problem. It was revealed to me especially um, when I would notice how much anxiety I would have if my performance was somehow threatened, if I didn't think a, a grade that I deemed acceptable would come through, or if my professor wasn't uh, happy with me or something like that. It became really clear to me the way that I had taken my performance in, in this area and kind of carved an identity out. And we hear those things kind of growing up and build our identity around comments like, you're smart. Or you're athletic, or you're you're a nerd, or a dork, or you're fat, or you're stupid. Positive or negative, we we take these things that we hear from from our performance, or from other people's opinions, or from our appearance and how we look, and we we carve an identity for ourselves out of that. Uh, this diagram that you can see up here, um, you know. For those of us who are religious or spiritual or want to connect to God, sometimes what happens is um, we will we'll focus on our, our performance and find our identity in that. And then we'll approach God essentially and say, am I, am I good enough? You know, have, I, have I performed well enough? Do I look good enough? Do people think well enough of me? Um, and can you be okay with that? Can you be okay with me? We go... And find our identity in those things and then approach God and hope that God is okay with us. We find our identity in the wrong places. Well, this story about Jesus in Luke has to do with Jesus' identity. That's what, uh, that's what his baptism is all about. It's about establishing his identity, who Jesus is. People are asking, John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's come to rescue us? And John says, no, it's Jesus. And then Jesus is baptized and a dove comes down that shows the Holy Spirit and a voice comes out of heaven miraculously that declares this is who Jesus is. Jesus is my son. 
I love him and I'm pleased with him. It's God before Jesus ever starts his ministry. It's God who determines and declares what Jesus identity is. You know, and it's interesting, too, that he would have people in his life who had different opinions of him, who didn't think he was the Messiah or who weren't pleased with him or wouldn't say that they loved him. And it's 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 remarkable how at the beginning we have this this foundational story of Jesus identity being established in his baptism. You are my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. Two things have really struck out. Uh, stuck out to me about this story. Um, the, the first is, I think it's interesting in the Gospel of Matthew that the language of this text is God kind of announcing to everybody else and saying, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. In Luke and in Mark, it's uh, framed differently. It says if God is speaking directly to Jesus, saying, you are my son. So it's, it's almost as if Jesus needs to hear what God is saying as much as everybody else needs to hear. You are my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. The second thing that really strikes me is that God says this to Jesus before he performs any miracles, before he exercises any demons, before he goes to the cross, before he helps people, before he is raised from the dead, before his ministry starts. God establishes his love and care and concern for Jesus, And it's not contingent on his performance. It precedes it. God says, you're going to hear a lot of things, Jesus, in your life. You're going to do a lot of things. But before all of that, at the base of all of that, I want you to know that you are my son and I love you and I'm pleased with you. The good news um, for us tonight is that uh, God says the same thing to us. That he said to Jesus, this is what God says to each of us. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you and I am well pleased with you. Uh, You are you are my chosen one. Reminded me of a text in Romans eight verses 15 through 17. That says the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Here's the truth. Uh, You're going to have a lot of voices in your life that try to tell you who you are. But God is the only one. Who can tell you who you really are? It's God's estimation that is the one that really counts. And there are a lot of facets of our identity. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is it's God's estimation of you. It's God's declaration about you that determines who you really are. And God says of each of us, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. I care about you and there's nothing that you can do that will change that. There's nothing. There's no way that you can perform or no way that you can look or no opinions that other people have about you. Nothing that you've done in your past. Nothing that you'll do in the future that will make me say anything different than you are my son or my daughter. 
and I love you and I'm well pleased with you. Instead of um, working our way around the triangle, um, if you will, from performance and identity and opinions uh, or performance and uh, appearance and opinions to identity and then approaching God with that. We receive our identity from God and it's out of that. It's out of who God says that we are. His sons and daughters deeply loved that we can live lives of lives of obedience. We can we can take care of our bodies the way that we need to. We can have a healthy appreciation or or lack of concern for what how, how other people may value us or not. That being rooted in the identity of God frees us up to do that. Jesus was baptized um, in this text so that we could be called sons and daughters. Jesus went to the cross and he rose from the tomb so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. That health officer, Dr. Bhagwan Pawar, when he discovered that these girls were named um, Nakusa or unwanted, he and his team decided that they would conduct renaming ceremonies for these girls. And they brought the parents and their families and these girls all together and they gave them new birth certificates that read a different name. The most popular name was um, Vashali, which means prosperous or beautiful or good. They renamed these girls. They gave them a new name. They, they told them their true identity as people who were good and beautiful and who could be prosperous and didn't have to feel like they were unwanted. And God is like um, that doctor and his team. He gives us a new name. He calls us his sons and daughters. He shows us his love for them apart from however we perform or however we look or however people feel uh, about us. The Christian ritual of baptism is a wonderful identity experience. Um, In baptism, we put off the old self and the way that we used to find our identity. And we put on the new self, um, who God says we are, our identity as sons and daughters. And uh, I, uh, I remember still my baptism. Um, it's like it happened yesterday. It's kind of this really important marker. Uh, and it's kind of like a, for those many of you have probably been baptized and um, know the experience. Remember when it happened. Um, if you haven't, you, you should. If you want to follow Jesus, you should be baptized. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony. It is this identity confirming and declaring kind of moment when when we connect with God in a public way that tells everybody um, who we are and what we're doing. Uh, a few years ago, one guy in our community named Lowell had a really special baptism ceremony. Um, some of you know Lowell. Some of you are newer to Storyline and so don't know him. Uh, but we wanted to show this, uh, wanted to show this baptism video of Lowell because it, it shows us the way that, um, that baptism and really our relationship with God really shapes our identity. It had a really important impact on, uh, on his identity. What's that?
role just to share a little bit about uh, why we're here today and what's brought them to this decision. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why you decided to be baptized today. Uh, the reason I decided to be baptized today is uh, because um, I was baptized when I was real young and uh, I didn't really know what it was about. And, um, the reason I want to be baptized is because uh, Jesus Christ was baptized and um, I count Jesus Christ as my example so I want to try to do as much as I can so the things that he did. Also, um, I want to um, show the eternal work from my life because of what Christ has done for me. As a part of that, one of the things we do <laughs> at Storyline is we have uh, someone who's decided to be baptized bring something that's symbolic of their old life, their previous life, and to intentionally uh, throw that away as a part of the ceremony. So, Lowell, what have you brought today that represents your former life? Uh, I brought a copy of the Mercury Disc, which is a chemical encyclopedia. When I was young, I got uh, interested in drugs, and I always felt like if I could learn to manufacture drugs, I could uh, get rich and manipulate the people around me and have a lot of power. It, I thought it was that if I could do that, it would be the answer to everything I'd ever want in life. Uh, it turned out to be quite a disaster, and uh, I was I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah. 